Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nemity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. This is Serious Privacy by Trustar. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. On 13 December, the European Commission finally adopted their draft adequacy decision on the long-awaited replacement of the Privacy Shield, the EU-US Data Privacy Framework, more commonly known by listeners of Serious Privacy as the thingy. Kay and I have not had the full time to read all of the 134 pages, but we've skimmed through it. And in this episode of Serious Privacy, we start with our review what is supposed to become the new adequacy decision for EU-US data transfers. Of course, it will still take quite a couple of months before the framework can be fully applicable, because it first needs to be reviewed by the European Data Protection Board and by the member states and European Parliament, and then maybe renegotiate it a little bit. But it seems that there is some light at the end of the long, dark tunnel that was the annulment of Privacy Shield 1. So without further ado, my name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. So Paul, yes, this is our next to the last episode, and we have some... Here's the thing. We went most of the year without hardly any world-altering privacy developments, and now everything's bam, 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 lined up before the new year comes in. So of course, this is going to be that's, interesting. That's how 2022 works. Shows right? off as a difficult year, then suddenly it becomes normal, and at the end it says, oh no, I was difficult after all. Well, I have decided that my philosophy towards 2023 is we're all just going to not talk about it. I posted this on LinkedIn, but we were all hoping 2022 was going to be this fabulous year and we're ready for a normal year and let's get back to life. And yeah, we all saw how that went. So I'm deciding we're going to treat 2023. I I can't even say that. We're going to act like 2023 is like a wild animal. We're going to walk softly. We're going to talk softly. We're not going to look it in the eyes. We're just going to hope it just kind of comes in and does its thing. (laughs) <laughs> and when it's over, we can all go, oh my gosh, that was fabulous. But uh, yeah, in any way, so unexpected question. I'm not doing random because I don't have my book in front of me because I'm sitting in a hotel room in Florida right now, ready to jump on a ship. Let's see. Oh, what's your favorite Christmas song? That's the Christmas song. Oh, the Christmas song. <laughs> the Christmas song. The chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack fuss their uh, nose. Yes. Just, I love that song. And it's there there are many versions, but yeah, that's uh, that, that oh. for me really evokes the spirit of of Christmas and the, the the weather that you would be hoping for and cold and snowy and freezing and the uh, the family all around and yeah, I think that's that's the one. Number 2 oh. probably let it snow. Let it snow. I like it. I was going to say now the that the weather you... outside is frightful. 
but the fire is so delightful. That one's been sticking in my head for days. I will say that. Oh, yeah. For me, too. Yeah. It it just, I haven't, I don't know that I've heard it anywhere. I've not really gone anywhere to hear Christmas music, but that one's been in my head. I've even been singing it like, quietly, but moving my mouth. And so my husband just looks at me and is like, what are you doing? I'm like singing songs at a, <laughs> at a volume that most people can appreciate, which is nothing. <laughs> but uh, I will say that I, when I was in high school, I took Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and I turned it into something else. Mm-hmm. And it was Randolph the Gold Tooth Playboy. And there was a boy called 30... Randolph in your class, I guess. No, it was fun. It was uh, Randolph the Gold Tooth Playboy. Get up. Anyway. Yada, yada, it was, yada, it was funny. Yeah, yada, yada. <laughs> and it, it was it was funny. And uh, I actually have a video of it of me singing it to my youngest daughter long before she even knows what words and are. And we'll put that in the show notes, question mark. Oh, what the heck? It's not like she remembers and I can't find the tape. So it was back on the old VHS tapes. <laughs> anyway, but it was so cute. I was holding her in my arms and I was softly crooning to her about this Playboy. But anyway, so yeah, I'm win mother of the year that year. But we have a lot to talk about. A yeah, lot so to one, talk one, about. One, one more question on this. One more question on this. Do you have in the U.S. a thing called Whamageddon? Yes, I think if you're talking about the the whamming someone with the 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 whatever song, no, no. What well, we yeah, about? it's. I mean, it's it's last Christmas from Wham, and that you should try to avoid to hear it as long as possible until the run up of Christmas. Until you just put that in my head and that's the only thing going. Don't in sing my head. it because for a lot of people, at least here in the Netherlands, I'm not even sure about other countries, but. This is a thing. This is a big thing. And people try to surprise each other, of course, in a mean way by suddenly playing it or putting it in a card or putting it into a random clip that they send. you. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yes. We do the same thing with songs by this particular singer. And it's, it's like, yeah, you've been. Yeah, got it. OK, so I should never say last Christmas. No, I can't even sing. That that didn't even invoke the song. So, yeah, we're leaving that one this alone. Doesn't we're count, like I this sing. doesn't count. It doesn't count. Only if you hear it in your head. But I'm sure my vocalization drove it out and replaced it with something that doesn't even resemble the song. Okay, so for Christmas, it looks like the European Union is giving us some wonderful little treats here. Well, at least 134 pages of reading materials. Have you made it through all 134? No, I have not. <laughs> because I also okay. have work to do. And this is no longer right. my core work. I mean, while I was with Trusting, this was my core work. And I could just spend a full day reading this and analyzing. And now I need to do it in my free time. And I haven't managed to you get through You know, that breaks my heart, too. That breaks my heart, too. You know, well, it's I mean, it's... For so many years, that's what I lived and breathed was understanding all the global laws and the implications. And I could spend my work hours analyzing things that had nothing to do with, you know, I would say with my work, but it was. But you know what I mean? Like right now, being privacy officer or privacy counsel, this isn't my everyday work to completely understand what this is and the implications for all the customers out there. So that exactly. doesn't mean Paul and I are slacking off. It just means well, now I mean, there it is takes also- extra effort. 
And there is also still this 27th of December deadline looming, which also coincides with For the standard contractual clauses. Yes. Exactly. No we actually had, yeah, we've got people asking, well, are you changing your data protection agreements or data processing agreements? And I'm like, you know, there, there's no driving need to make sure that certain things are enunciated that have changed recently because there's a provision in there that you will follow the laws including following the laws as they may be amended, which gives you a little bit of time. Now, it doesn't give you time for the standard contractual clauses. I get it. I'm talking about a DPA. And I'm like, if you write your DPAs correctly, then hopefully every little bitty change in the law that comes out, you're not going to have to completely redo your DPAs. You should be able to write them where they're somewhat dynamic. The standard contractual clause, yeah. Y'all haven't moved over to using the one of the four modules for standard contractual clauses. You're out of time in about, I'm looking at my watch. About 11 days. Quickly. Yeah. Yes, quickly. And then you have these huge tech, US tech vendors that say, oh no, but you can just download our new DPA and they are, they are in there by reference. And I say, no, I don't accept that because they need to be duly executed. And then they tell us, no, we don't do that. So um, yeah, I'm up for a couple of days. And you got no bargaining power. Tech. Yeah, you've, you've well, got no bargaining power. No. no one has bargaining power when it comes to these, which is why I loved it when Shora Nas did her IAs uh, on some of the big tech. That was nice. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how we how we end up there. Yeah, we've got 134 pages of adequacy decision for the thingy. The thingy Any of our listeners who have read them. Okay. I'm sure there are a few. And we also got some 40 pages from the OECD on government surveillance policy recommendations on the way forward. Also fabulous. So yeah, that's uh, I think that's my Christmas reading settled. But I did go through the adequacy decision as best as I could in the time available. And so I do have some initial thoughts? views that I'm disappointed. Oh, we why? spoke about the executive order before and we at the time said, well, we had expectations also about the commercial clauses that they would be significantly updated to deal with the 2022 world instead of the 2001 world when those principles were first drafted because they have not changed much from the original safe harbor. And they still haven't changed much from the original safe harbor. The IAPP did actually a very useful sentence-by-sentence comparison. And if you look at the changes that were made from the commercial clauses on the privacy shields to the commercial clauses of the DPF, they're almost identical. And um, <laughs> Yeah, I kind of picked up on that too. That's, uh, I, I think that's disappointing after two and a half years of negotiations. And I had hoped that also on the commercial side, we would see some improvement, maybe also some of the enforcement that the FTC has done over the years included in the commercial principles. But for example, also things about data portability still not there. And even though that is, in principle, a direct relation with the data controller, there might be some support needed from the data processors. The automated decision-making. There is actually quite a lot said about automated decision-making. And basically, the European Commission says, oh, yeah, but it's not important because there are other ways that the U.S. has arranged this. So we shouldn't be concerned about that. And there is still the dispersed oversight with aviation bodies and data protection authorities and commercial oversight. And I don't know. I'm 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 not convinced there. There is no real detail on the transition 
and maybe additional requirements from Privacy Shield to the framework, we still don't have the details on the designations as a qualifying state for the whole oversight and redress process from the Department nope. of Justice. And everything that's being said about bulk collection and proportionality is all a question of semantics. Um, U.S. says, oh, no, we don't do bulk. But according to the interpretation of the EU court, what the U.S. does will be bulk. So is bulk. Yeah. It's likely, at least from, from the European perspective, it's bulk and thus inadmissible. I don't see how this will go through without objections from the data protection authorities. Well, but there's also going to be objections from the private watchdogs like in OIB, who has already said they're 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 already ready to object. Yeah. So, so what did okay, you think? So well, I have to admit, I, I skimmed it. So I made it through all 134 pages, but I basically stopped and skimmed it at the parts that caught my attention. And you've called out most of those parts. I will say that my general impression of it is they had a lot not to say in 134 pages. <laughs> it like was what? like, right? I was... This was kind of back when, oh gosh, what was the other thing that they pulled out? And I was really expecting them to to be very clear and to hammer down on the points. And they they it's like they danced up to the line and then they went, oh, there's a line. And they danced back. And I was sitting there going, but can't you step over the line? Can't you be very clear here? Can and I was I was once again disappointed with that. But I, I do intend to go back through the 134 pages. God, I don't even think I counted the pages. But I do intend to go back through them. And this, while I'm on the cruise, this is going to be part of my reading material and say, are there any things here to actually pick out? Now, the most important thing to realize here is, one, there's still not an agreement in principle. No, because... They agree on, on the broader context, we need to fix this, but again, the semantics. Yeah, there, there's really not. And as you said, most of the principles didn't change, which I kind of feel a little bit like a hypocrite there, because as I said before, the principles weren't really that bad. It was the provisions that went with the principles that weren't there. It was the the other things we needed, but the principle of fairness and data minimization and all of that. That's exactly oh, no, that's what fine. you want to have there. Yeah, no, that, that, it's the other there. part. I don't it's have the reason why it was invalidated. Yeah, it was the reason it was invalidated that we need them to address. Yeah, but I also think nobody has ever assessed in court the commercial clauses. Um, mm. Also, when looking at the commercial clauses and comparing it, for example, with the standard contractual clauses, there is a mismatch. And it, it's it's just yeah. they they are not to the same standard and. They're really, they're really not. No, essentially, and equivalence is not just ab about government surveillance. It's also about the commercial yeah. clauses. Exactly. Well, and as you and I discussed before, companies have now, and especially with this looming December 27th requirement to have SCCs in place, many companies have actually negotiated the heck out of data protection agreements or data. Mm -hmm. I keep calling them data protection agreements, data processing agreements. They've negotiated the heck out of them. You can't negotiate standard contractual clauses, but you can negotiate the heck out of the DPAs. And companies have done so. I mean, down to provisions that I think are absolutely ridiculous to include to those that you absolutely, you know, companies take a stance on and they're like, absolutely, we have to have this. 
Many of them are not taking an individualized approach. You should be doing, which is what the court said you needed to do, is with each processor, you take an individualized approach. What data does that processor have? What do they do with the data? What countries do they go to? We've argued incessantly ad nauseum about the fact that the data transfer impact assessments and how controllers want processors to just hand them the entire thing. But part of it depends on the work with the controller. What I'm leading up to here is I was disappointed. How do you expect companies to transition away from everything they've negotiated and done to these new principles when the principles don't cover what they need to be covered? Mm-hmm. That's where I go no, to. No, it's, it's true. And you mentioned the data protection impact assessment. I know this is supposed to be an adequacy decision, but because it is right. self-certification, you would expect also there some form of impact assessment to become mandatory. Yes. It is not. Yes. Yeah. So like I said, I was once again waiting with bated breath, turning purple, fuchsia actually, which is more my color, waiting. <laughs> On this, and true, it came out sooner than I thought it would. I was not expecting this at least until after the the new year. So it was interesting that it came out, but even more interesting that it's not everything that we wanted it to be. And I'm confused as to why. They took 134 pages to not explain why. No, I, I agree. The good thing is, I mean, if this all goes through for the companies that want to rely or that are going to rely upon the right. DP, which will be thousands, the transition the from thingy. privacy shield sorry, still the to thingy. the thing will be easy. I mean, that is also what we predicted. You may be basically, according to one of the provisions, Article 6E on page 14 of the commercial clauses, says you only need to update the reference in your privacy notice. And then you're done. And you need to refile with the Department of Commerce. Also, Which that I get to me, they're trying make to make sense. It, yeah, they're trying to make the transition easy. We've always anticipated that anything that came out was going to make it worthwhile for those companies who stayed part of the privacy shield, mm-hmm. even though it can't be used as a data transfer mechanism. They stayed a part of it because they are committing to certain principles that are of oversight authority by the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, the Department of Transportation, too, but who sees those? And so it makes it worthwhile for those companies who adhere to those principles waiting up to this. They don't have to file new, but seriously? Yeah. Okay. Is this because we're looking at this through a uh, twisted lens and the fact that we really expect this to be something that can be globally Serve as a global model. It can be globally adopted. It can serve as a global model. I get it. The 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 thingy is only between the U.S. and the EU, but the underlying and the UK and principles of it, right, right. But from the U.S., yeah. But I I was hoping for something. Yeah. I had higher hopes. Who do do I need to hunt down and and kick? Because. Yeah, I can give you some names, but I will do that offline because that makes it safer. I don't want retribution my way. But I would have liked to be a fly on the wall to hear the conversations because some of the people involved in this, you can only imagine, have very strong opinions on the protections that should be there. Yeah, and and well, as I said, I I I had really I had higher hopes after the court striking it down twice, and yes, the court struck yeah. it down 
on the basis of the government surveillance. And as we discussed before, we have come a long way there. And I think yes, really on the government surveillance part, Executive Order 14086 has really made a significant impact. Yes. It's a good improvement. I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. I am not certain about the bulk collection, although the bulk collection in, in 14086 is much more targeted than any bulk collection being done by European intelligence services with all the targeting criteria that are also listed. So yeah. the executive order actually is not that bad. The redress and oversight mechanism, in my view, also is not all that bad. Um, it is not a court court with the full constitutional protection that you may want it to have. At the same time, I do think it qualifies as independent judicial oversight. Yeah. And and it is fully enforceable and it would take an act of Congress to either get rid of it or or add to it. So it it is more than what a lot of Europeans thought it was when they first heard of it. And I yeah. know they a lot have done into it to realize it. Plus people here have done a lot of educational outreach. And so and, that happens. So and that's, that's actually horrible. shared by one of the more critical, cynical data protection commissioners. The one from Hamburg who's oh also goodness, willing right? to give it the benefit of the doubt. So, I mean, that is that is a good step in the right direction. But yep, on the commercial side, I know it hasn't been challenged. Yeah, I mean, here I don't see the essential equivalence to the GDPR, and that was already a mistake in the privacy shield that was negotiated and could have been aligned with the GDPR back in 2016, which did not happen, and it still didn't happen. Yep. So if yep. I were the data protection authorities, that would be my key focus in uh, my criticism. So Helen, yeah. I don't know if you're still listening. <laughs> Helen, Helen's been busy lately. Well, Ooh. she's going into her Let's final get... year, so. Yeah, she's she's been busy lately. And I have to admit that uh, I really loved having her on the podcast when she was, because that was the first time I'd ever you know, quote, met her and I was impressed and she's got a lot of work in front of her. I know she faces a lot of criticism, but look at the amount of work that she does. Good Lord. Okay. Absolutely. So both the, both of us have expressed our in incredible disappointment with how far this decision does not go. What are the next steps, people? We're still looking at six months. Yeah, we are still looking at six months, and that is also no surprise, because now all the documents have been released. So now the data protection authorities will need to set to work to analyze all of this. And they will also check it against the being essential guarantees when it comes to government surveillance. I think that part has already begun. Uh, and now they will also need to assess the commercial side and, and, and all of the other points and see whether it meets their expectations. Um, yeah. That will likely take until the February plenary of the, of the year that will likely take until the February plenary of the European Data Protection Board when they hopefully are able, will be able to adopt an opinion. The European Parliament will need to give an opinion and also the EU member states will give an opinion. Um, and, and I don't we'll expect all those opinions to be positive. No, I don't. Yeah. But then we need to see what the European, the European Commission will do with that and quite possibly they will need to go back to the U.S. and say, hey, we need to have another round of negotiation. And right. then it needs to come, and it might need to come back for a follow-up advice, or at least the data protection authorities may want to give a follow-up advice before the commission takes a final decision. So 
The Commissioner for Justice, Didier Reinders, has said he aims for a June decision, and then it's wait and see. And then it, I mean, immediately after the after the decision, it can go live. And that also means that by then we need to have the clarity from the Department of Justice on the designation of qualifying state. And right. I had hoped that to be here sooner, actually, so that, as alleged, also all the other frameworks be able to already rely upon these these new safeguards in, in the executive order, like the Senate contractual clauses. It would have been really helpful if the Department of Justice had made sure that before the 27th of December, the designation was already in place to at least make yeah. all the transfer risk assessments a lot easier. But I guess that's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, this is a an interesting world that, that we live in. I mean, I get it. Our podcast is dedicated to those that live in our world. But yesterday I was talking to the, the Lyft driver about this. And, you know, when you mention privacy now in the U.S., and this has changed over the past few years, people assume that you handle privacy lawsuits. I'm like, no, mm. no, not this chick. Uh-uh, that's not where I go. I, <laughs> I handle companies and their need to be compliant and as I pointed out, when a company has a data breach, when a company has a data breach, you often hear of their CEO being terminated or CISO, which or may be face criminal penalties even. And uh, but you never hear of the CPO being terminated because mostly it's because they didn't do what we told them to do anyway. So I get it. We're we're preaching to the choir here. Everybody gets this, but this is bringing a new element of complexity. To what it is that we do. Ensuring mm-hmm. privacy protections has never been complex. It hasn't been complicated. It's been very simple. You only collect the data you need. You only keep it for when you need it. You don't use it for any other purpose. You get rid of it when you no longer need it. You tell people what it is you're doing and you do what you do. You say yeah. what you do and you do what you say. Very simple. It's starting to get a lot more complex now. I mean, we wanted there to be more regulations and more government oversight, more enforcement that companies were actually doing this. They're not making it easier. They're actually making it harder, which doesn't mean get rid of it. What it means is y'all need to come together with the meeting of the minds and y'all need to do what needs to happen. Because unless the government says to do it, companies aren't going to do it. And I get there's a huge cultural divide on privacy and data protection, which, by the way, I loved. Was it Ralph's explanation on the difference between privacy and data protection for people, which I was going to ask you to just explain that quickly. I know you've done it a time or two as well, but wanted you to speak to that. But I know there's this vast cultural difference between the U.S. and every other country that has privacy laws. (laughs) Vast divide. And that the U.S. tech companies are the ones that, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, run the world. Yeah. You know, who doesn't have uh, Google or Facebook or LinkedIn or Microsoft or Salesforce or any of these other huge companies out there? If you don't have them directly, they are one layer down because your service providers will use them. Exactly. Or Amazon. Yeah, let's throw Amazon in there, too. Hmm. So, you know, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But good Lord, can't they make this a little better? I like I I think you and I have talked about this before. We don't need job security anymore. No, we don't. (laughs) We just Um, need the government to do what they're supposed to do because companies aren't going to do it without. There is no self-regulation here. No, and that's that's also a conversation. Actually, earlier this week when traveling to Switzerland, 
I was waiting for a train somewhere in Germany and, and I ran into one of the Dutch members of the European Parliament who was on her way to Strasbourg and I knew her from the days and when I was working in the Senate and it was a nice moment to catch up while both waiting on a train. And I won't go into all the details, but one of the things that we concluded is that also our governments are still so reluctant to accept the jurisdictions of the courts that they've created themselves. For example, when it comes to, oh. to mass surveillance, where the courts have now said probably about two dozen times, dear governments, you cannot do this. You cannot do massive and indiscriminate data collection in, in, in the European Union or when you are subject to the European Convention of Human Rights, because it is not in line with our fundamental rights <laughs> that you have created yourself. So also our governments still need a, a good lesson there. Yeah, you know, you're making me think there's got to be something. I like to take things and change them to privacy. So you're making me think there's a, I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. I am. <laughs> I did actually do one for the 12 days of Christmas and your vendor, what your vendor brings to you. I'll, I'll see if I can't find that and publish that too, but yeah. So on the difference between privacy and data protection, privacy is the right to be left alone. And that is in all aspects of life. That is possibility that you can just hide behind your home front door if you if you have an off day and that you don't want to see everybody. Yeah. That People cannot just barge into your house or into your car or the discussion we now have here in the Netherlands, just access your school locker. Oh, there wow. Yeah. Raids We've all had over that conversation too. here. Yeah. We have police raids all over schools because they are looking for illegal fireworks that kids may have. And that oh, is also goodness. a violation of their privacy. But that has nothing to do with data protection. Data protection. That would be the only... least of the things we'd hide in a locker here. <laughs> I think maybe here there are also other things they, they hide. I remember from my school days in the run-up to school parties, there would also always be alcohol hiding in those lockers. But Yeah. For example. Anyway. Um, so the, uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's privacy. That is also the right to lead your own life the way that you want to lead your life and make your own choices, make your own mistakes. Whereas data protection is much more about about your data, basically about everything that you that you say, that you write, that people know about you. So everything that is revealing about who and what you are and how that should be protected. It is, well, and here in the U.S., it is people still think of privacy that way. It's the privacy of your data. It's the privacy of not having your your information known. But I do like the move towards adopting more of the data protection versus privacy concept. It's not versus, some ways. it's and. It's, it's two right, different exactly. fundamental rights that build upon each other. And I think the distinction is important. Yep. Why, for example, I'm no longer drafting a privacy notice, but a data protection and privacy notice, because I want to make sure that the data protection element is the central feature. I like that. I I think I term mine not not the notice online. I do have as a privacy notice because hello, I'm in the U.S. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, I usually do consider it data protection and governance. Yeah. So that's one of the many things that we could talk about this week. Yes. I haven't well, even looked at the OECD date on government surveillance. I think that's something that we'll discuss season when we come back at the end of January, because 
There is a lot to say about that one as well, but it would be nice to see if we can get from the OECD to, uh, to talk to us about that. That would be good. That would be good. And I will say that here in the U.S., we do have some major changes coming. I don't want, I want to make sure we don't gloss over those. Yes, we are all aware that the CPRA, the next iteration of the CCPA, is coming into force in January 1st. This is most notably um, two different things. One, it adds sharing to selling. So the whole conversation about the targeted behavioral advertising and the cookies and the trackers and everything. So it adds sharing. I am boiling this down to simplicity, people. Yes, I get all the nuances there. Just saying that this is part of it. The other biggest part is that California no longer has the um, the exemption for business-to-business data or for HR-related data. So dependencies, applicants, retirees, everything like that. That exemption expired. California did not pay a new one. Now, I, I would put money that California is going to come out mad. Um, another exemption to it at some point. But right now, companies are really struggling with how do they get the HR data in there. And there's a lot of guidance out there about you have to state in your data protection, <laughs> your deep, let's just call them DPAs, in your data processing agreements that you're not going to do this or 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 this to HR data. I'm not necessarily of the mind that you have to specify you're not going to do that to HR data because many companies just agree not to do that to any data. And if mm-hmm. HR data is no longer exempted, then it applies to HR data. Same for B2B data. Now, this is where you hear a lot of people in the U.S., frankly, not liking um rolling in B2B data because the, in their mind, this isn't data that needs to be protected. Mm-hmm. But it is the the name and the contact information of people you work with at vendors. It could be sole proprietors, which might mean that their employer identification number is actually their social security number. Yeah. There are people who still do that. And so there is information you need to protect. And in the UK, an interesting, and I need to see if this is still true, but it was true back when I was working in the healthcare field, is that partnerships were still considered sole proprietors because they were not corporations. So therefore, you still had to protect the data of partnerships just like you would an independent doctor. So there's a lot of nuances there with that. That's apparently my my nom du jour today is, is nuances. So there's a lot of nuances there, and that is coming up January 1st. Also, the Virginia... Data Protection Act goes into effect January 1st. Then you have Colorado and Connecticut on July 1st, and you have Utah at the end of the year. So will there be other state laws that pass in 2023? I think it slowed down this year because there was the possibility that the federal government was going to pass something. And it probably came closer than it ever has before, Mm -hmm. um, but still not not there. So what do I think is going to happen? We might see it again next year. I think, well, we know we're going to see something proposed. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'm curious. And now the Democrats uh, have, uh, the Democrats have the Senate. Yeah, they have the Senate and the Republicans have the House. Yeah. So uh, that, that's something to take into account yet. We, we know we'll see something proposed because we've seen something proposed for the last God only knows how many years, but I don't know what we're going to see from the states. I mean, they held back last year. We'll see. We'll see what we'll happens. We'll see indeed. 
We'll also need to take a look at India, which has tabled a new data protection yes. law. The previous one, which was close to adoption, was finally repealed, and there is a new one on the table right now. So that's another one we'll look into in more detail in 2023. Yep. But I think and on that Canada. note... Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. But I think on that note, we are going to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Yes. This is our final episode before the holidays. We will be back with you just before the end of the year with our year overview and our predictions. for And our favorites. And our favorites. I told you, we're not going to predict anything for 2023. It's a wild year. Just shh. Okay, Kay no will not be predicting for 2023, no although she just did, but I might. And there will be, so there will be one more episode coming from us to you. Keep me honest, Paul. After that, as usual, we take a bit of a break throughout January and be back around Data Protection Day. Privacy Day. Thank you again for for listening this year. It is really exciting. One of the updates we got in in recent recent weeks, we went over 1,200 downloads in one single week, which is absolutely amazing. And you can't, you, you don't realize how much that means to us. So thank you very much. A very, very Merry Christmas or any other holiday that yes. you might be celebrating in the next couple of weeks. And we look forward to speak to you just before the end of the year. There we go. On that note, we didn't say all of our Twitter and our LinkedIn. Y'all know where to find us. And with that, goodbye. Bye, y'all. That was Serious Privacy. Hey listeners, looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because they're... Deep automation streamlines data privacy governance, cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesis Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central, seriously one of my best parts. It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now. Ask me a Paul if you have any questions.